0: Let's uh, bow in prayer together. Lord, it is the melody in our heart. We long it to be the melody in our heart that we praise you, that we rest in the assurance that the Holy Spirit gives us assurance that we indeed are your children by faith, and that you are with us in every situation of life, that you're at work bringing all things together working all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. Lord, now we pray that you would open our eyes of our souls and hearts and our minds that we might understand your word, that your spirit would guide us to discerning more clearly what it means to be on mission and to know that you are at work in the difficulties and the struggles and the hardships of life. And so, Father, use your word to point us to Christ, we pray in his name. Amen. Let me encourage you to open your Bible to the 27th chapter of Acts. I just want to just relieve any fears of yours. We're not going to read the entire chapter, so take a deep exhale there. Um, We are going to read through this section just down to verse—I'm not sure how far I'm going to go. Um, Partly because I'm not going to go that far in the text uh, here. I would encourage you to read it sometime on your own, but we're looking at Acts 27, beginning in verse 1. By the way, uh, Luke Luke is recording for us uh, the fact that Paul has spent now two years waiting in Caesarea uh, because he's appealed to Caesar, and he's been waiting to finally have the permission to go, and so now he is finally moving in that direction uh, by ship. When it was decided that we should sail for Italy, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And embarking in an Andromedian ship, which was to sail about to sail to the regions along the coast of Asia, we put out to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian of Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, And Julius treated Paul with consideration and allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. And from there we put out to sea and sailed under the shelter of Cyprus because of the winds were contrary. And when we had sailed through the sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we landed at Myra in Lycia. And there the centurion found an Alexandrian ship, an Egyptian ship, Sailing for Italy, most likely, by the way, had wheat in it. That's where they grew a lot of the wheat at the time. And he put us aboard it. And when we had sailed slowly for a good many days and with difficulty had arrived at Nidus, since the wind did not permit us to go farther, we sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone. And with difficulty sailing past it, we came to a certain place called Fair Havens, near near which was the city of Lacia. And when considerable time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous, since even the fast was already over, which means Passover, Paul began to admonish them and said to them, Men, I perceive that the voyage will certainly be attended with damage and great loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion was more persuaded by the pilot and the captain of the ship than by what was being said by Paul. And because the harbor was not suitable for wintering, the majority reached a decision to put out to sea from there if somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete, an island there, facing northeast and, north and southeast and spend the winter there. And when a moderate south wind came up, supposing that they had gained their purpose, they weighed anchor and began sailing along Crete close inshore. But before very long there rushed down from the land a violent wind called Urakilo, and when the ship was caught in it and could not face the wind, we gave way to it and let ourselves be driven along, and running under the shelter of a small island called Clauda, we were scarcely able to get the ship's boat under control. And after they had hoisted it up, they used supporting cables and undergirding the ship and fearing that they might run aground on the shallows of Sirtis, they let down the sea anchor and so let themselves be driven along. The next day we were being violently storm-tossed. They began to jettison the cargo, throw it overboard. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands and since neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small storm was assailing us, from then on all hope of our being saved was gradually abandoned. Maybe that's a good place to stop uh, as we read through this text. Um, I have with me this morning a little booklet that I came across in going through my grandfather's um, affairs and his personal effects. Uh, My grandfather on my father's side did a lot of traveling. And this is a list of all the passengers printed uh, who rode on the Queen Elizabeth cruise ship uh, on Wednesday, July 31st, 1957. And every person is like 300 people's names are printed here, including my grandfather's. And I think to myself, do I save this? I don't really see the reason why it's significant. Now, if that had been a little bit earlier, at the, at the turn of the, ni- of the, in the early 1900s, had my grandfather been on the Titanic, had he survived the Titanic, would that be worth something? You better believe it. Because when you're involved in a shipwreck, the fact that you survive it is quite significant. And what we're reading about in this text in Acts 27 is something that Luke is giving us so many details about this account. On the one hand, you say, well, this seems like I'm reading a travel log. It's like, okay, okay, enough, enough. We've got enough of these cities' names and trying to figure out where they're going from point to point. But in reading it, first thing you ought to notice is this has the sense of history to it. This is an eyewitness account of a shipwreck written by someone who was not a person who was a normal passenger on a ship. The details are incredibly compelling and accurate, but it's more than that, and we must look at it as more than just that. It's not just a travel log. As I read through the text, what struck me, and I didn't get down to this far into the chapter, but you can read ahead, and I'll just point you to it. If you look at verse 37, There are two ships that they boarded. This is now the second ship they're on. This is the Alexandrian ship that is an Egyptian ship that has wheat on it, uh, going to Rome. And if you notice verse 27, it says, sorry, verse 37, all of us in the ship were 276 souls. 276 people on this ship. Now, why is that included in this account? I'll give you a second to think about that. On the one hand, we say it's eyewitness account. I think he's giving further details and facts. On the other hand, I think what he's saying is, there were many lives that were impacted in this disaster, and it was a disaster. Think about the ship being torn apart by horrendous waves. I can't imagine. And so Luke is here zeroing in on this particular occasion. He is showing, again, his bigger purpose is to say the gospel is being advanced outward, away from Jerusalem, moving into the more Gentile areas. The gospel is expanding and further, further, and now it's headed to Rome. Paul is now finally going there under the sovereign hand of God. And interestingly enough, we see in Acts 27 an example of Jesus providentially leading the apostle Paul into an extremely difficult traveling situation for what purpose for what purpose and i'm convinced of this in order to use paul to minister to the unbelievers who are around him to the 275 other people on that ship because as you read the account Paul's name continues to be featured. He is the one who becomes, in a sense, more significant than the captain of the ship. I'm getting ahead of myself, but I'm just telling you what's coming. Now, let me back up and just say this. When you approach the text like this, in terms, you talk about a difficult situation to face in life. Our hearts go out to those people recently in Missouri, right? This duck boat. What a terrible disaster. Sometimes when we are on mission for God, and we're open to that, we're committed to that, we say, Lord, use me. Sometimes in the back of our minds and in our hearts, we assume, well, if I'm on mission for God, then I'm assuming that my life is going to be free from trouble and trials. Because I'm yielded, I'm available, I'm being used by God. But obviously, that's not the case here. As you look and you see the invisible hand of God guiding Paul into this dramatic and dangerous situation, it becomes really an opportunity to make a gospel impact on the lives of all these people who are with him on this boat. And what is really sort of boiled to the surface, if you will, or bubbled up as I've read and thought about this passage and prayed over it. I've looked at Colossians chapter 4, verse 5, and I wonder, is this an example of that taking place in this account? Paul wrote in Colossians 4, 5, in terms of seeing God at work in difficult situations, he says, conduct yourselves, he's talking about believers now, conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, people who don't know Christ. People who live in a broken, fallen world who don't know the one who created the world and don't have a relationship with him. Conduct yourselves with wisdom toward outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. I think that's what God is doing here, using the Apostle Paul as one example of how God can do that in his people in these difficult situations. So how can you and I make the most of opportunities that God may give us? It may happen this week. It may have happened last week. You began to find yourself into the terrible storm of life. It may have been something you'll go into a month from now. But how can we be more prepared to make the most of painful problems that God sovereignly brings into our lives? to make a spiritual impact on the lives of unbelievers around us. And I believe there are a number of insights here in this text. So many that I began to say, I am not going to race through this text. Just trying to get through the chapter quickly. But I'm going to slow it down a little bit. And I believe there's a number of insights in chapter 7, 27. And uh, for, the, for today's purposes, we're just going to look at one of them and but there'll be multiple ones uh, in future weeks. First of all, I want to notice here in the text of how we can be better prepared, how we can be more effective in making use of those opportunities. Number 1 is to be strengthened in the reciprocal bonds of Christian fellowship. strengthened or to be strong in the midst of one anothering and the bonds of Christian fellowship. You say, where in the world did you get that out of this text? Well, first three verses of chapter 27, if you reread them with that in mind, you're going to notice a couple of things here, uh, in which I think was one of the means that God used in the Apostle Paul's life to enable him to make a significant influence on these unbelievers' lives. They're moving from Caesarea to Rome, and what do we read? When it was decided that we should sail for Italy. Who's the we? In previous parts of Acts, sometimes it is, and Paul did this and this and this. But here it's we. And clearly the we, if you know the background of the, uh, of the book, you know that Luke, the physician Luke, is the one who's writing this account. So clearly he is on this ship along with the Apostle Paul. Uh, they proceeded to deliver Paul and some of the other prisoners to the centurion. This guy's name was Julius, and embarking on this particular ship, which is about to sail regions along Asia, we put out to sea accompanied by Aristarchus, Macedonian from Thessalonica. And the next day we put in at Sidon, and so-and-so, Julius treated Paul with consideration, allowed him to go to his friends and receive care. So in these verses, I believe we find an interesting list of the people who are the passengers on the boat. It's not like the list that my grandfather had, uh, you know, of all these probably very sophisticated people who can afford to pay all this money. No, this ship is made up of what? Lots of soldiers, right? Roman soldiers with a cohort, a person who's in charge of them, and some prisoners, it says in the text. So we've got lots of prisoners. We've got the Apostle Paul, who is also a prisoner. We've got this Aristarchus guy and Luke, and some others. Now, this Aristarchus fellow, we've read about him earlier in the book of Acts because he was caught up in this big riot in Ephesus, and he was the one that was seized. So he's been in some dangerous situations before with Paul and been a traveling companion, so has Luke. And one of the reasons that Paul, I believe, was able to make the most of this difficult opportunity was because his life was knitted together with other fellow believers. The Apostle Paul was not on mission as a lone ranger. That was not his approach at all. As you read through his writings, as you read through Acts, you begin to understand that his ministry endeavors were birthed, and they were developed, and they were organized, and they were launched by the church there in Antioch, In the supportive bonds of Christian fellowship as they began to discern the leading of the Holy Spirit. So it was Paul and Barnabas that were sent out based on this church and all of the community that was already involved in there in Acts 13. So now you have this Paul and Luke and Aristarchus. They're brothers in the Lord. And they came from different places, right? Paul was born in Tarsus, spent a lot of his growing up years in Jerusalem. And then you have this guy named Aristarchus. Where's he from? He's from Colossae. And interestingly enough, they pursued different career paths. And Luke was a physician. His background is totally different than Paul. Paul was a person who had studied extensively in the school of rabbis. And now he's been a tent-making missionary for a number of years. But the one common denominator that they shared was the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was the glue that knit them together and held them together. They're co-laborers for Christ, and they have this bond that is amazingly strong with each other. They have different gifts, yes, different abilities, of course. But they share the same devotion to Christ, the same love for lost people. And they shared their lives with each other, encouraging each other, and traveling with each other. That can be quite stressful. Some of you know when things don't go right in your travel arrangements, you begin to find out what you're really made out of, and that's what happened on this particular trip. You don't hear hardly any, you don't hear a word out of Luke, you don't hear a word out of Aristarchus, but you hear a lot out of Paul. But the reason Paul was able to do all those things is because he is being supported by these fellows. Now there's more here. If you notice In the text, as you continue on in the first uh, three verses, if you back up from this account, 25 years earlier, we read about a time in which the church in Jerusalem was being persecuted, and as a result of that, all sorts of Christians were launched into various areas in that area, and they went up the coast from Jerusalem and began to take the gospel into areas along the coast there of Tyre and Sidon on the northeast coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Interestingly enough, as they get in this first ship, they make a stop at Sidon, and it is there. They disembark, and Paul gets permission from this Roman soldier, and he says, yeah, you can go and hang out with some of those people over there who apparently are very much wanting to help you and see you as someone that they want to extend their kindness to. And look what it says in verse 3. Paul received care from these people. The Greek word there used literally means carefulness. He received carefulness from What's Well, it's another way of saying he received their kind attention. They were noticing whatever they could do to help him. They were wanting to help him. So I've wondered what that looked like. And I've wondered to myself, <clears throat> is it possible that these people opened their homes, celebrated the fact they finally got to meet the Apostle Paul as they heard so much about him over the years, and I wonder, it's probably been, what, two years since he had a homemade meal. What encouragement that must have been to his heart. What encouragement it must be to know that there are believers along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea who have been reached years earlier, and there they are faithfully serving Christ. And he runs into them, and they minister to him. Who would have ever thought, hey, who stopped in for lunch today? Apostle Paul. Paul. We were not told how long he was able to visit those friends, but obviously he was no doubt greatly helped. It was recorded by Luke as something very significant. That he was even given permission to get off the boat is amazing. Now, as I've thought about this, it seems to me that some Christians are ill-prepared to be making the most of difficult opportunities to impact unbelievers around them with gospel witness because their bonds with other Christians are rather superficial. They are not strong bonds of fellowship. Those bonds are weak. Those bonds are tenuous. And sadly, some believers choose to keep their distance from other believers. They have a guard that's up. And they don't feel comfortable. They sort of avoid perhaps because of fear being vulnerable and really known by other believers and so they keep their distance you never hear much from them others avoid getting involved in the burdens and hardships of other people like i can't be bothered with your stuff i got enough of my stuff so i'm just going to do my own thing and keep a head down i'm not sure all the reasons why but sadly there are those who refuse to For various reasons to even join into a local fellowship of a local church they refuse to become members of a local church and say i am committed to these other believers here and i'm going to covenant with you that i will love you and you can love me as we seek to follow and serve christ in this place and so it seems sad that some choose to put this wall of self-protection around them and they don't have these kind of strong bonds of Christian fellowship in place. Is it any wonder if that's true that those who invest very little into the lives of other believers around them, when times are calm and things are going okay and they don't really show much interest in other members of the church family, that is it any likely that, that is it any wonder that it's likely that they're going to receive little support back Because they're not known, they don't really know what's going on in these people's lives, they're not going to receive much assistance when they go through the stormy seasons of life and they're out there just trying to fend for themselves. But those who live out their devotion to Christ, in the strong covenant bond of Christian fellowship in the local church as members of that church, aren't they more likely to benefit from the one anothering that goes on, the ministry of one to the other, Brothers and sisters, giving, sharing, helping, praying in good times and tough times. I've thought about my mother recently and how she was ministered to as a widow uh, in her 80s when my father died. Uh, They had been very involved in many people's lives in this church they've been a part of for many years. And I remember my mother telling me on the phone how pleased she was In this new phase of life, she's alone. She'd spent her life, 53 years with my father, serving Christ, serving so many people in the community and in her church. And here she is alone, living in her home alone. And this one couple in church took the initiative to call my mother up and say, we're going to come pick you up. We're going to take you out to dinner. We're going to have a night where we can just enjoy dinner out. And they do that. And then there was a time when they bought tickets to the Season the symphony offers. There's a symph- some kind of symphony in the small town I lived in and so they buy the season tickets and they bought an extra ticket for my mother to sit right with them so she would be able to have somebody to sit with when she went to the symphony, which she loved dearly. And I thought to myself, these gestures that they offered seemed like not a big deal on some level, but it was a big deal to my mother. It helped her through that weathering the storm of loneliness and grief and time of mourning that she endured. It's amazing how, what a difference it can make when you enjoy the strong bonds of Christian fellowship. You know, there's another reason that some people, sadly, are so ineffective in the difficult times to make a gospel impact in other people's lives, particularly unbelievers, is because the reciprocal bonds of Christian fellowship have become weakened over time, Due to perhaps a refusal to repent of sins in their hearts, the reason I've thought about this is because Jonah has come to mind. Jonah has again. I've had all these shipwreck thoughts in my mind all week, so my my, my mind went to Jonah. And I'm thinking now, Jonah is a person who was given an assignment by God, and the assignment was to go to the people that he probably liked the least in all the world people he hated and bring them the good news of God's grace and to repent and find saving grace from God and he wanted to do the opposite so he did he said I don't have nothing to do with that I'm going the opposite direction instead of going east he goes west gets on a ship and on that ship he runs into what terrible weather on the on the seas and where is he in the midst of all this commotion going on in the ship where the people are like, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And he's sleeping in the under layer of the under level, whatever you call it, uh, in the bowels of the ship. And what, at that point, with a heart full of racial pride that he's unwilling to let go of, a heart full of arrogance, a heart that's lacking in love for people around him who are different than he is for the lost, he's so absorbed in himself, he's like, I have nothing to offer on this ship at this point. Well, they wake the guy up. They say, what in the world's going on? So he tells them a little about his story. And as a, as a result of all that, he has no people of God around him because he's running away from them. He's running away from God. And eventually he finds himself more useful to these unbelievers thrown overboard than he is among them, giving them good news. I wonder if you can identify with the fact that sometimes you may be struggling or there might be some of us struggling with the fact that we purposely remain aloof from other committed believers and from the deeper bonds of Christian fellowship is so that you could hold on to your sins. Perhaps they're flagrant sins like Jonah. You couldn't miss it if you you tried to. But sometimes there are secret sins of the heart that we don't want anybody to know about. And we're not going to deal with them because that's what's important, that we be able to have that freedom to live that way. And so our compromised lives lead us to the point where we're not seeking out deeper fellowship. Perhaps that means I'm not going to go to youth group because I might be known as the person that I am. And so therefore, I'm going to avoid those situations. I'm not going to women's fellowship. I'm not going to men's ministry. I'm not going to go and get involved in Bible studies. Because we avoid sitting down at fellowship meals because I don't want them to really know what I'm struggling with in my life. I avoid these situations. That's very sad. And I might add, very dangerous. Spiritually speaking, you are at that point in a situation of being very vulnerable and you're not going to be very effective in being able to minister to other people. So i leave a quote in your notes there. It says, Satan watches for those vessels that sail without a convoy that's true it's true well i want to give a more positive example of the benefits of of being in strong fellowship and bonds of one anothering with as believers and being able then to make good use of the opportunities god gives us in difficult times and you'll notice here in the text that and having these people together paul went through a number of shipwrecks. Are are you are you aware of that he survived a number of them. I don't think I could ever list that on a resume. How many people have that on their resume? Been through a number of shipwrecks, at least three, maybe four. Well, he's been through them, and he went through many difficult situations in which he didn't think he was going to survive. And I wanted to share just an example of how he was helped in those situations by his strong bonds with other believers. It's found in 2 Corinthians Chapter one. Second Corinthians one, just take a second look over there. Uh, if you don't want to actually follow it, you can just listen to me reading it to you. Paul is assuring these believers in Corinth, who had many struggles, and they've had some things to learn themselves, but he wanted them to know how much he appreciated and how much he relied on and how much God answered their prayers, that they prayed for him in the midst of these dangerous situations. Verse eight, Second Corinthians chapter one. He says, I think you ought to know, I'm reading a more uh, modern translation here, I think you ought to know, dear friends, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and completely overwhelmed, and we thought we would never live through it. In fact, we expected to die, but as a result, we learned not to rely on ourselves, but to, but to rely on God who can raise the dead. And he did deliver us from mortal danger. And we are confident that he will continue to deliver us. Watch this, verse 11. He will rescue us because you are helping by praying for us. As a result, many will give thanks to God because so many people's prayers for our safety have been answered here's Paul explaining to his readers there in Corinth that he was facing a crisis in which he thought he wasn't going to survive he acknowledges that God brought him through it and he's saying you folks there brothers and sisters in Corinth thank you for lifting us up in prayer would you keep praying for us because we still face dangers up ahead their prayers were used by God to sustain him, to keep him going, to, so that he might minister to these people. And then those people, in turn, are thankful for the ministry that Paul had in their lives. And so it's all this big circle of people being thankful to God and seeing them minister to each other. All glory be to God. Now I'm wondering, when you face the choppy waters and the stormy waters of life, do you take advantage of of the bonds that you share with other believers, your brothers and sisters in Christ? And do you ever ask them to pray for you? Do you ever seek out others and say, you know, I need prayer. I have a struggle in my life. I'm having a difficult time with this. And say, I need you to pray for me. Times when you're overwhelmed. Times when you are defeated and struggling with a particular sin. Times in which you are in a very tough situation trial and you're not sure you're going to be able to keep going and the unbelievers in your life are watching how you're going to handle that situation do you have and sense the support of other believers praying for you or are you just trying to just handle it on your own do you ever ask advice or seek out the counsel of other people who are more mature believers and say how do i handle this what should i be doing what can i how can, I, uh, how can God help me through this? Do you have any suggestions? On the giving end of things, do you ever share a scripture verses with people you know who are very much in the storm and being tossed to and fro, and the winds are blowing and they're not sure which way's up? And they're wondering, am I going to get through this affliction that I'm in? Do you ever share the scriptures with them, and encourage them to get their minds on to God and His promises? Are you a person that practices hospitality by opening your home if you're able to do so? Opening your heart to other people and saying, listen, I don't have a whole lot to share with you here, but it's not a fancy meal, but I'm glad to allow you to share this experience together. Maybe you take somebody out to eat. I mean, I don't know what your situation is, but you you seek out another person. Maybe you share a cup of coffee or tea or something in, in a Starbucks, and you're just saying, I just want you to know how you doing and have a listening ear to other people are going through various forms of heavy affliction? Are you involved in the ministry of taking a meal to somebody who is overwhelmed by some trial in life? I'm not sure where you are, but I'm telling you, there is much ministry that is just amazingly wonderful that does go on. But if you're on the sidelines of that and you're not partaking in that, I'm telling you, you are not fully prepared to, to make and redeem the opportunities that God gives you to make a difference in the lives of people around us. As I've thought about this, I've thought about Jesus. Jesus enjoyed such rich fellowship with his followers. Oh, they just spent all this time together. And I'm convinced that they really were appreciating him so much, and I'm sure he appreciated their following of him. But it's Jesus that was cut off from that fellowship voluntarily. He knew that when he put himself out there to be put onto some phony trial and then eventually be put to death on that cross, he knew that they were going to what? He would no longer enjoy that fellowship with them. But he did so so that they might be knit together in a permanent bond of love and communion and sharing of their lives together in Christ. It was Jesus who was abandoned by his brothers so that we might be forever included with each other. See, the gospel that broke down the walls of prejudice and racial animosity and distrust also is the gospel that opens doors of opportunity Opportunities to forgive each other when there are failings among the believers in Christ. Opportunities for grace to be extended in love. Opportunities for acceptance among fellow sinners so that the world might see that what we're not perfect, but we are people who do love and forgive and who are bonded together in Jesus Christ. Look at the gospel working in our midst. It's a beautiful thing when it's on display. Are you in the middle of a storm? Remember, there is tremendous help and grace in the context of one anothering among the people of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's unclear to me or to any one of us what all storms or difficulties or trials Any one of us are going through at this time, but Lord, you know you are sovereign over all events and all experiences in life. Nothing catches you off guard. And even as that very dangerous storm caught the Apostle Paul and his traveling companions together in it for a purpose to minister to those on that ship. Lord, I pray that you would help those of us who are in various storms. Even we as a church are, in a sense, going through a storm now. Lord, we pray that you might use this to draw our hearts together. We pray that you might help us to build each other up, that we might therefore be more bold and aware and compassionate toward those around us in seeking to be and have a gospel witness To so many who are outsiders around us in this place. Lord, I pray for those who are on the fringes, for those who are hiding behind walls of self protection. I pray that you might, Lord, give them courage. May they follow the leading of the Spirit to be open because of the gospel to be secure in Christ and therefore to acknowledge the times in which they're hurting and times in which they're in need and times in which they can help build up others. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us as a church to continue to live out our church covenant in a way in which we might therefore gain strength and be effective in ministry to people whose lives are truly broken and who are facing ultimate disaster in the storms of life apart from Christ. So Lord, use us for your glory, we pray. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.